Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Blueprint Podcast with your host, Stefan. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today as we continue to journey along the Bitcoin rabbit hole to discuss some of the most important topics in the space and demystify this for you. In the previous episodes, we've covered everything from mining to nodes to wallets to private keys and more. And in this episode, we will be taking it yet another step further to talk about Bitcoin transactions. Now, while this may seem like something that is fairly simple and easy to understand on the surface, there are some nuances that I want you to understand as it relates to Bitcoin transactions. And so that is what we are going to dive into today. So without further ado, let's get started. All right, so in previous episodes, we covered what Bitcoin wallets are and largely how they work. And to give a quick recap, a Bitcoin wallet essentially is a culmination of different Bitcoin addresses. A Bitcoin address is what marks ownership of Bitcoin on the blockchain. And so a wallet is just a culmination of different Bitcoin addresses that you own that have a Bitcoin balance on it. Now, taking it a step further, we didn't really dive into exactly how Bitcoin addresses work. And essentially, a Bitcoin address is just a string of alphanumeric characters that represent a destination for a Bitcoin payment. Now, like an email address, they can be shared with other Bitcoin users who can then use them to send Bitcoin directly to your wallet. And unlike email addresses, you can create new addresses as often as you'd like, all of which will direct funds to your wallet. So not one wallet is tied to one address. One wallet is a culmination of a bunch of different Bitcoin addresses that you own. And so a wallet is simply a collection of this and the private keys that unlock the funds within. There's practically no limit to the amount of addresses that a user can create. But up until the moment that an address receives funds from another user, that address is simply part of a vast number of possible addresses that are quote-unquote valid in Bitcoin. Only once it's been associated with a transaction does it become part of the known addresses in the network. An address can also be used multiple times to be able to receive funds. For example, what some people do is they post their addresses on a static website or something like that. And you can actually send Bitcoin to that address as many times as you'd like. Obviously, for privacy reasons, it's not always the best practice. And so that's why most wallet softwares and hardwares, when you go to request Bitcoin for, from someone, they will create a new address for you every time. But, you know, if people do send 
funds to the same address over and over again. It's your address. So those funds will, of course, belong to you. And that's why there's nothing, you know, sensitive from a security perspective about a Bitcoin address. You know, they can be posted publicly. You can send them to as many people as you'd like. And there's no risk of your funds, you know, being lost or compromised in any way. And so largely that's how Bitcoin addresses work. But now let's take that a step further again to discuss how a Bitcoin transaction works. And in simple terms, a transaction tells the Bitcoin network that the owner of the number of Bitcoins has authorized the transfer of some of those Bitcoins to another owner. The new owner can now spend these Bitcoins by creating another transaction that authorizes transfer to another owner and so on and so forth in a chain of ownership. Going back to the concepts of the blockchain, it's all represented in this chain of ownerships. So in Bitcoin terms, what it means to spend Bitcoin is signing a transaction from your wallet, which then transfers that value from a previous transaction over to a new owner that identified by a Bitcoin address. And that's how a transaction really works in broad scopes, right? It's just transferring ownership from one address to another. And while that's simple on the surface, and for a large part, it is pretty simple, I want to walk you through the step-by-step process on how a Bitcoin transaction gets sent, just so you are aware of everything, and also some of the nuances which are associated to a Bitcoin transaction, which you may not know from the get-go. So say you have a wallet which has Bitcoin on it, and you want to send some Bitcoin to a friend or a relative or a merchant. How you do this is, well, the first step being to access your Bitcoin wallet, of course. Now, it doesn't matter what wallet you use, whether that's a software wallet, a hardware wallet, or a multi-signature wallet, as we talked about in previous episodes. You just have to access your Bitcoin wallet in one way or another. Now, the second step is to navigate to the send section, which most wallets have with a clear interface, which allows you to start a new transaction. That's interface that you interact with and most of the time even with hardware wallets it is you still have to interact with some type of software so what that software will then prompt you to do is it will ask okay you want to send bitcoin who are you sending bitcoin to and by who i mean which address are you sending bitcoin to and now there's two ways that you can typically do this to enter the address. You can either, you know, copy and paste the address. So maybe, you know, your friend just sent you, hey, here's my Bitcoin address on WhatsApp or text message or whatever it may be. And then you can copy that into your wallet and then, you know, send it that way. Or, and this is my suggested and definitely preferred method of copying a Bitcoin address is most Bitcoin addresses come with a QR code and then most wallet softwares allow you to scan that QR code so that it will just copy the metadata embedded in that QR code, which is your Bitcoin address, and copy that onto your wallet yourself. So 
Those are the main two ways to do it. But for added accuracy, I would consider the QR code over, you know, copying and pasting from a message or something because sometimes things may get lost or there's a typo or something. But regardless, it's always very, very important that you double check the address. And I cannot stress this enough because with Bitcoin, once you send a transaction, there's no going back. If you send it to the wrong address, that's Bitcoin is essentially lost forever. So really, really important. Double, triple check that the address that you are sending it to is the one that matches the destination where you want it to go. Now, the fourth step is to, of course, enter the amount of Bitcoin that you want to send. And a common misconception with Bitcoin is that, you know, you have to sometimes transact in large amounts of, of funds that Bitcoin transactions typically have to be big transactions. But that's not true at all because Bitcoin can be sent in fractions. So the Bitcoin network can transact in fractional values from milli bitcoins, one one thousandth of a Bitcoin down to one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, which is called a Satoshi. And a Satoshi is something that, you know, you'll hear quite a bit, especially as the value of Bitcoin increases, because saying you own one Bitcoin is a large amount versus Satoshi's is an amount that is much more easily broken down and can be then maybe in the future used for, you know, daily transactions instead of saying, okay, send me 0.00001 of a Bitcoin. You can say, okay, send me 500 sats. So that's also a nuance. Just good to know. Satoshi's, if you ever hear that phrase, oh, can you send me some sats? It's just a fraction of a Bitcoin. Now, the next step, what your wallet software oftentimes is going to prompt you to do is it's going to ask you to set a transaction fee. And if you haven't heard of the concept of transaction fees before, I covered this a bit in the mining episode, but transaction fees exist to be paid to miners to incentivize them to include your transaction into a block. Because remember, a transaction is not valid until it has been incorporated into the Bitcoin blockchain. And miners are the ones who mine these transactions and incorporate them into the blockchain. One thing that's important to note here is that the there's a live market for fees, meaning that at any given time, the amount that is associated to sending Bitcoin, so the transaction fees, can either be higher or lower depending on the amount of transactions which are currently present in the Bitcoin network. So if there's a low amount of transactions waiting to be confirmed, then fees will typically typically tend to be lower. But say you know, the network is super congested and there's a lot of transactions waiting to be confirmed, then the fees will be higher. So it creates this very, you know, dynamic market where the amount that you pay to have your transaction confirmed will correspond typically to how congested and busy the Bitcoin network is and how many transactions are waiting to be confirmed. So there's a bit of a trade-off here because 
if you, you know, you well, most wallet softwares will allow you, will give you a recommended, you know, fee rate based off of the current state of the Bitcoin network. But you can still, you know, decide yourself what fee typically that you want to pay to be able to send your transaction. So for example, if the network is very congested, but you don't feel like paying high fees and you feel like, okay, well, maybe it's congested right now, but in a few hours, it will probably be less congested and I don't mind. There's no rush in this transaction to be confirmed. So I will set a lower fee and wait until the network gets less congested and then hopefully goes through at a certain amount of time. So you can still decide based off of what you prefer, what transaction fee you want to include. But, um, you know, you do have to understand the, the trade-off. If you do have a lower fee, it will take longer to confirm well, versus if you maybe overpay, could be very quickly included into the next block. But so then the next step is to review and send the transaction. So once you've, you know, entered the Bitcoin address, set the transaction fee that you want, and then the amount of Bitcoin, of course, you need to double check everything. So most wallet softwares will have you do a little check before, you know, you can actually send it. And oftentimes with the hardware wallets, they'll actually have you also confirm everything on the hardware wallet itself, which is also a very good security check. But yeah, I can't stress this enough. You have to double check everything because once the transactions, once you press that send button, there's no going back. Meaning that, you know, if you send it to the wrong address, if you include the wrong amount of Bitcoin, you know, the only way to then get that Bitcoin back is to either ask the person that you sent it to to send it back or say you sent it to the wrong address. There's essentially no way to get it back. So be very careful, double, triple check to make sure that everything is correct. But if you're using something like a QR code, then most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, you know, it will work flawlessly. And so then what, once you press send, depending on what wallet you're using, it will either, if you're using a software wallet, it'll typically just sign the transaction within the software. Um, but if you're using a hardware wallet, then it'll ask you to, you know, take out your hardware wallet. And however you interact with the software interface, it'll ask you to sign the transaction. And then once it gets signed, your transaction is officially broadcasted to the network. So what it does is once you sign the transaction, the network gets propagated across the Bitcoin network. So the Bitcoin nodes, as we talked about in previous episodes, then receive the transaction. So it Im immediately gets recognized in the network. So say I send, you know, Bitcoin to my friend. From the moment I press send, or, you know, usually it's fairly instantaneous, nodes across the Bitcoin network start picking it up and say, okay, Stefan wants to send funds to his friend. Okay, we have this transaction. And then it'll propagate across the rest of the Bitcoin network until all the nodes in the network have this transaction. And this may seem like it takes a while, but typically it reaches most of the nodes within, you know, seconds. So once the transaction is sent, it gets propagated across the network. And then what happens is it lands in what is called a memory pool or a mempool. And this is another technical term that you'll hear in Bitcoin. But essentially a mempool or a memory pool is a sort of 
waiting room or like you can imagine it like a lobby where you know once your transaction gets broadcasted it's waiting in this memory pool or kind of this like lobby if you will waiting to be confirmed and you know mined into a block and this is where the transaction fee comes in because depending on how many transactions are waiting to be confirmed say you have a transaction that has you paid a lot you know you had a really high transaction fee then it could get broadcasted into the next block, which could be you know anywhere from zero to 10 minutes. Or if you paid a low fee, then you might have to wait a few blocks. You know, this could be 40 minutes, 50 minutes, sometimes hours. Again, it all depends on how many how many transactions are waiting to be verified. But your tra- your transaction kind of sits in this mempool and just waits until it gets put into a block corresponding to your the transaction fee that you paid. Now, a common question that I've been asked is if I put too low of a transaction fee on the transaction that I sent, like what happens if it doesn't get confirmed or if it's I just paid too little and it's just been sitting there for a while, like how how you know, how does that work? How, what happens there? And essentially so once you say you sent a transaction, but you put a really low fee and it's super busy on the network. So your transaction is constantly just waiting in this mempool because none of the miners want to mine it because you didn't pay enough transaction fees to, to mine it. And there's obviously a limit to how long it gets in the mempool. So after a certain amount of time, it does get the transactions gets almost expired to where it then gets sent back to your wallet. Or it never, I guess it doesn't officially get sent back because it never was officially sent to the other person. So it kind of just like almost voids or cancels the transaction. And there's a few ways, you know, that you can approach this and fix this if you wanted to, um, depending also on the software and wallet that you're using. But some of the wallets out there have what is called RBF or replace by fee. And what this does is it essentially allows you to bump the transaction fee to incentivize miners to confirm it. So you resend the same transaction, but then with a higher fee. And so you can do that. Um, but typically, as I mentioned, it's fairly rare that you know a transaction doesn't get included into the blockchain unless you just put a really, really low transaction fee that is not realistic to the current state of the mempool in the blockchain because for example it's measured by sats per byte so say you know you have one satoshi per byte is the lowest you can do so say you send a transaction at one satoshi per byte but the market rate so what the fees are right now to get confirmed is maybe 70 satoshis per byte obviously if you have the one satoshi per byte that's a bit unrealistic and you can't expect that to get included into a block anytime soon so you always want to check the mempool and again most wallet softwares will just recommend the fee and even you know allow you to adjust it based off of how quickly you want it to get confirmed so the for the most part this isn't really an issue but just something to be aware of of course but then going to the next step so you broadcasted the transaction it's waiting in the mempool and you set a good fee so now it actually gets included into the next block so then once your transaction is included in a block and that block is added to the blockchain you receive your first what is called confirmation and so a confirmation means that 
your transaction has been mined into the blockchain and the transfer of ownership has taken place. So the person who now owns the Bitcoin on the new address can actually spend the Bitcoin. And then as each new block gets added after your transactions block, that equals another confirmation. So say now, you know, there's another block that gets mined after the one that, you know, your transaction had. Now it's two confirmations and so forth and so on. And typically within Bitcoin, while transactions can be sent after one confirmation, most consider a transaction like fully, fully settled after about six confirmations. So that's when you can, I mean, typically one confirmation is more than enough, but each confirmation just adds, you know, more security that nothing can happen. And so six confirmations is kind of what's considered fully settled. But this is brings me to another point, and this is a large debate around Bitcoin because there's a lot of different perspectives on how Bitcoin can be used, you know, whether it's a store of value, a medium of exchange. And, you know, I view that Bitcoin can be both. But obviously, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, how can Bitcoin be a medium of exchange? So how can I use Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis to buy my groceries, to buy coffee, if it takes 10 minutes for the first confirmation and it doesn't get considered quote unquote fully settled until six blocks which could take anywhere to an hour to maybe more and so it's a very valid critique and point and that's why you know for the bitcoin network itself it is unrealistic because also when you get more and more transactions. So say now everybody across the world is constantly transacting in Bitcoin and buying their groceries with Bitcoin and doing all this stuff with Bitcoin. Then of course, what is also gonna happen is not only do the confirmations take time, but the fees will be enormously high because the network will be super congested because everybody is trying to transact transact on the network. And the way that this gets solved and this will be a separate episode because otherwise <laughs> this episode will be too long. But the way that this gets solved is there's essentially what is called layer twos. So Bitcoin is a layer one technology. But what you can do is you can build different layers on top of Bitcoin to allow for certain features or functionalities. So one thing, for example, and I'll have a separate episode on this, But one thing that's been very famous in the Bitcoin space is what is called the Lightning Network. And essentially, the Lightning Network is a layer two that is built on top of Bitcoin to solve this transaction problem. And how it works, I'll give a brief explanation of this, but how it works is you can imagine almost like a bar tab. Instead of paying for each drink separately, causing you to constantly have to, you know, reach for your wallet and the bartender to open the cash register for every single transaction. You can open a tab and then throughout the night you order drinks and the bartender, you know, simply marks this on your tab without requiring immediate payment. And then at the end of the night, you settle the tab with a single payment, which is much more efficient than paying for individually for each drink so in the lightning network you open what is called a lightning channel 
And then, you know, transactions can be done in this channel. And of course, it still ensures security and you still can't spend, of course, funds that you don't have. But you're making these transactions and you're, the transactions are being done through this lightning channel. And then only once in a while do you actually have to go and settle this tab, quote unquote, on the Bitcoin network. And so that's just one example. And I'll go into more detail about the Lightning Network specifically in a future episode. But that's just one example of a layer two protocol that is being built on top of Bitcoin to solve problems like this. So you can still have you know, the robustness and security and foundation that is the Bitcoin network, but then build a layer on top of that to solve some of the common problems like the transaction problem, for example. Now, going back to our step-by-step guide here, once you know your transaction is confirmed, that's essentially it. You know, you'll have received confirmation that this is confirmed and your transaction will be considered fully sent on the Bitcoin network. And that's essentially the step-by-step guide on how you go about sending Bitcoin, including some of the technical aspects that I wanted you to know, for example, with the memory pool, the transaction fees, and things like that. So I hope this gives a bit more clarity and insight onto how this works. And for the most part, like I said, it is a pretty straightforward and intuitive process. There's not much technical stuff behind it. And most wallet softwares and hardwares are built nowadays to make it fairly easy for the user to transact. But yeah, I just wanted to express some of the nuances and just guide you through exactly how it works so you are also aware of it. Again, going back to the theme of Bitcoin, you're the one that is ultimately responsible. So double, triple check everything. Make sure that it is all correct because once you send a Bitcoin transaction, it is considered final and there's no Bitcoin hotline or customer service to call to revoke a transaction once it gets included into the blockchain. But with that being said, I hope this episode was useful. I hope it provided a bit more clarity and insight onto how exactly the Bitcoin transactions work. Thank you so much for listening and until next time.